What is going on, everybody? And welcome back to a special, special edition of Top Rank Unbox. We've been gone for a minute, but we are back. I'm so excited. Why? Because <laughs> we're talking to one of my favorite people ever at Top Rank. Yeah, right. we'll see. Thanks. Right. <laughs> well, that's such a great introduction. I appreciate it. I didn't that. even say your name yet. Hold on. It's Evan Core. It, it was well, I just assumed, you know, I Former. know I know I'm Ricky's favorite, but it's nice to be one of your favorites as well, Jim. Former PR director and now matchmaker. So talk about that transition. You know, I, I tell people it's been a very slow and steady transition. At this point, I just, uh, you know, we have the two best matchmakers who ever lived on our staff. So it's kind of like the best uh, training ground one can have. So I'm just sort of easing my way into it and just trying to learn from the best. And Brad Goodman is still the best. And Bruce has been around for 40 years and developed the likes of Oscar De La Hoya, Floyd Mayweather. Uh, Brad's developed over 60 world champions. So... No, no better place to, to learn from those two. And you made your first match in Fresno on March 25th. I guess technically that was my matchmaking debut. Um, it was Subaru Murata's fight uh, and it lasted about 90 seconds. Tell us about the thought process of finding an opponent and, and making a fight. You know, I th our philosophy, and, and this comes from the top down with Brad and Bruce, is you just want to make good fights. Um, you know, it's but it's twofold. You know, we have a lot of young prospects that we're, that we're developing and, and we obviously want to develop them into world champions. So it's about giving them tests and giving them rounds and showing them different styles. And hopefully, you know, when they get to a point where they're fighting in 10 rounders or title eliminators or title fights, they'll be adequately prepared uh, for that challenge. Uh, a lot of times, you know, we want to challenge uh, uh, one of our fighters. We want to see sort of what they have when faced with adversity, because you know, it's one thing when you're knocking out guys in one or two rounds and four round fights, but when you're in a tough eight rounder or a tough 10 rounder, you don't really know what a guy has oftentimes until they are tested. So it's about testing the guys um, and also developing them to become uh, as prepared as possible for when, when the bright lights hit. But you know what the drawback is in that? And we talk about it all the time. When a guy gets tested, right? What happens online? And people, uh, and people say he's exposed, and you know. But but a good example was when Jared Anderson fought Jerry Forrest, and everybody, myself, uh, Brad Goodman, uh, Bruce Trampler, all thought that Jerry would take him into the mid to late rounds, and it it lasted two rounds. And so I think that was sort of the consensus among boxing fans that okay, Jerry Forrest could be the guy to take him the distance or to take him a certain amount of rounds, and then Jared blasted him out in two rounds. So people were like, okay. But at the same time, then, you know, then you had the, the naysayers saying, well, he got hit a lot in the first round, you know, five or six left hands tagged him. What would happen if that was, you know, Philip Hergovich or Zhang or, or one of those guys? So, you know, no matter what, there's always going to be questions with a young fighter, but you can't really, you know, we can't really be concerned with that. It's about developing them um, as best as possible. And hopefully, hopefully Jared's next fight um, in Toledo will be, the time where you can get more than two or three rounds in. So part of your job now is like you reach out to these guys, right? Well, the, you know, at, at that level, um, when you're talking co-main and main event guys, you know, a lot of those matches uh, are made at the at the top, tippy yeah, top, at like the, at, execs. Yeah, that, TV. that's you oh, okay. know when you're talking like a main event fight. That's that's the Todd DeBuff level. That's uh, that you know that's the Bob Arum level. That's Jeremy Kogel, our, our, our head legal counsel, who, who deals with a lot of that. So when you, you make, you know, the main event fights, there's a saying, and, you know, that Bruce Trampler said it a lot, is those fights make themselves. You know, so when, you know, when we feel like the public demands a certain fight, when we feel like there's interest in a fight, when we feel like they'll either do a great rating on ESPN or 
will, will do big numbers on pay-per-view or at, the, or at the box office. That's how those fights were made. So like T Fimo and Josh Taylor is a perfect example. It's like, that's the best fight for both guys. We feel like it's going to do a big rating on linear ESPN. They'll do a big rating um, two, th- two, three a.m. on Sky Sports. So it's a fight that satisfies ESPN. It satisfies our partners with Sky Sports. It's a great fight in the ring, and it's a fight that both guys want. So those fights are made by the fans and you know made at the uh, at the top levels of the boardroom. Did you ever see yourself as a matchmaker? Uh, no. When you were little, you're no. like I'm gonna be a no. You know, it's funny. Matchmaker. It, it, it's very. I, I think very few people do. I mean, which is I think what makes Brad Goodman so special is from the time he's like 15, 16 years old, and he's told the story. That's all he ever wanted to be. I just wanted to make a living in boxing, and like all. Yeah, and then my career path with PR sort of, you know, long story short, ended up here. And then I just got a little more involved in other stuff throughout throughout my first three or four years here. And then that opportunity presented itself. But no, I never was like, I, I want to be a matchmaker. I think maybe about a year ago, I started thinking that it, that, that might be a, a, an intriguing challenge. But no, that was never, never in my career plans. Did you think of any other roles in boxing that you'd be interested in? I was always public. I, I always I found my career niche in, in PR and I got a lot of experience doing that. So, no, I mean, I never was interested in doing, you know, like you guys do such a great job in social media. I never wanted to, to, to do social media. I never was interested in that. Uh, you know, I think PR was just sort of such a natural fit. And then I think like anybody, when you were at a company for a certain amount of years, you want to evolve and you want to grow and you, you want to do other things. So now I'm in a I'm in a fortune position where I get to sort of do some of the PR stuff, help out on, on, on some of the bigger things and some, some of our, you know, some of our fighters, but at the same time, get to learn from Brad and Bruce on, on how to match make. So it's been. What's fun. the best and worst part of PR? The best and worst part of PR? Well, that's, yeah. that's, no, I think the best part is, and I think, you know, when, when you book a really great story or you help facilitate something and then you can see the impact it has, because I think now PR and social media are so integrated. So a lot of the best, uh, a lot of the best stories you get live on on social media for years. You see the when when Tyson Fury did the Mike Tyson podcast. I mean, I, I can't even imagine the amount of times you know you see clips on Instagram or Facebook. I mean, probably been seen hundreds of millions. But I, I can't even you can't even calculate how many times clips from that thing is uh, has been shown. So booking those kind of interviews and seeing the impact it has is the best part. You know, the the worst part is. You know, you, you know, dealing with crises, uh, you know, the Maxim data shift situation in 2019, you know, really prepare for that. Uh, you know, when we you know, fights get canceled, um, you know, fighters get in trouble, which thankfully hasn't happened too often since I've been here. Things leak. Yeah, they I mean, put out a fire. yeah, things leak. Yeah, things leak. Some Most of the times if things leak, it's not that big of a deal. Um, I think the most stressful week I ever had, this is, uh, this is a great uh, sort of an inside baseball th- thing was when we were signing Tyson Fury. And at the time, this was February of 2019. At the time, everybody was like, he's fighting Wilder next. They're going to announce it. The, the, the rematch announcement is imminent. And that's what everybody thought. And then like, I think that Monday or Tuesday, we were headed to Minnesota for a Rob Brandt fight, Hinkley, Minnesota, which I know Jalen has. Jalen? No. I haven't been. Rick, Thank Ricky. God. I did not go. Neither of you have been there. Uh, Sorry Maddie has been there. No, no, the, 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 uh, the Grand Casino has been a great partner to us, but we were headed out to a Rob, Rob Brandt fight. I get a call from Brad Jacobs saying, okay, I got to keep, okay, we're, we're doing this. It's going to get announced next Monday. You got to keep it under your hat. You cannot tell anybody. So like, I did not even tell like my brother, my, my, my co, um, 
my uh, coworker who runs a Hispanic PR, like I didn't even tell him. So he, so Gardy, who's like one of my best friends and such a close colleague of mine, found out about it via the press release. And he was, he was so, he's never let me live that one down, but the pressure on it was like, we, you know, we're doing this big announcement with ESPN, you cannot let this leak. And I remember I was at the fight, that was a Friday fight in Minnesota. And I get a call from Mike Coppinger and he's calling me, he's like, hey, uh, you know, I hear you got some big news. I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh, big news, what are you talking about? And he was referring to something else, but so, but, but I was like, oh, sh-. I was like, oh my God, Mike knows about it. I get, so, so that was like, I was like, you know, so I was like, at the time I was like, okay, I can't even let on, like I know what he's talking about. Cause I thought he was talking about Fury. But anyway, long story short, we kept that in our hat for like, uh, for a week and then like Monday, like 6 a.m. Pacific time, it dropped. And when we announced that news, it was just like it blew up the boxing world. Mm-hmm. It everybody was like, what the fuck just happened? And I remember like, you know, Dan Rayfield was at ESPN at the time. He was like, he didn't even know. So he was like, how could you not tell me I'm with ESPN.com? I'm like, I was told to tell nobody that, you know. So Dan didn't know. Mike didn't know. So we kept that secret. And that was stress in a different way because it was like all weekend i'm like checking twitter i'm searching tyson fury's name i'm like tyson fury plus top rank i'm, I'm searching everything and oh, that's uh, really stressful yeah it was beyond if stressful. that would have leaked how would it have happened i mean if it leaked it, i mean it wouldn't have been the end of the world like no but like who would have leaked it oh probably coppinger oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, i was like i was i was like refreshing like, i was it was like like a we're refreshing Coppinger's Twitter like every like, five <laughs> oh seconds. Looking like, at his Instagram. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, you, I mean, you motherfucker, you, in, you insider motherfucker, you better not leak this. So that, but in fairness, he was like, he was like, ah, oh, fair play, Evan, good job. So good poker yeah, face. Yeah, no, it, so that was, that was, but that was so fun. And then that started this journey we've been on with Tyson for the last four years, which I think, you know, definitely the most memorable moments of my PR career has been, have, was being around him for, you know, a few years and, working on the, the Wilder fights, it's just been incredible. So it's been a long month. We've been all over the globe for the last uh, 30 days or so. And we started off in Fresno and went to Tulsa, went to uh, Newark, uh, we went to London. So it's been a, it's been a whirlwind and we, we've been all over. So let's start uh, in Fresno. Uh, Jose Ramirez, back at home, fought Richard Comey. What do we think? You know, I think Jose was back to being sort of vintage Jose, although it is a little tough to say. I think Richard Comey came in not a shot fighter, but maybe a little shop worn. And has been, you know, the I think the toll of such a long and illustrious career at lightweight, um, coupled with his last few fights, uh, you know, with, with Pedraza, he's he's just been in tough fight after tough fight after tough fight. Thirty six years old, yeah. so I think he's still a very formidable fighter, but he was on the cliff, yeah. and Jose was good enough. Uh, to push him off. I mean, I thought it was the best Jose had looked since the, yeah, I'm in the minority here. I thought it was the best he'd looked since he knocked out Maurice Hooker to unify the 140 pound titles. And I thought that, and then I go, I read online that a lot of people said they, they thought Jose didn't look good. They thought he was vulnerable, which, you know. He got touched a little bit, but it wasn't anything. He wasn't ever hurt in the fight. No, he wasn't ever hurt. I, you know, I, maybe that's the difference when you're sitting ringside versus watching at home. Right. Which sometimes, has it has an effect on how you judge a fight and maybe how you evaluate a fight, which I think why it's so important to to be there and be ringside when you're evaluating evaluating your fighters. But I, yeah, I thought Jose looked sensational, especially given the year long layoff. 
Um, he came out in the first round or two, like, you know, ants in his pants because I, you know, he just had heard so much slack about, okay, you're, du you're ducking Regis, you're not a real fighter, that he wanted to come out and, and make a statement. I thought he did, I, others disagreed. Yeah, I mean, he was pressing Comey the whole time. Comey was ready to get out of there after the first knockdown. And I saw the body shot from ringside, but I, it didn't seem like it was a big deal. But then when I saw it on the replay on TV, I was like, oh, okay, I can see why he was kind of worn out at that point. Yeah, and even, even the proudest, Richard Comey, you know, uh, as game as they come and, and a, you know, one of the best fighters ever to come out of Ghana. But there comes a point in these guys' careers, especially when they get to their mid thirties, where they're not willing to take as much yeah. as they as they were in the past. It, we, we saw him 15 months or so prior against Lomachenko, where Lomachenko was waving his corner to stop the fight, and Comey was like, "Nah, fuck that." Yeah. And I think now he's at a point where he's like, "Okay, yeah. it's okay to take the 10 counts." Okay, yeah, you know, it's fine. he probably could have gotten up, but I don't think anybody blamed him for. Guys like Comey and Pedraza don't get enough credit where uh, they they literally fought everybody. Yeah. Like Comey fought Teo, he fought Loma, and he fought Ramirez. Pedraza, kind of the same thing. Like he fought uh, Tank, he fought Loma, he fought uh, who else? Well, he won the title against second world title against Ray Beltran. Ray Beltran. You know, yeah. then he comes just fought Comey too. You know, yeah. last August. Lindapo Delgado. I mean, and Comey Comey's the kind of guy that. Any opponent, he's been the top rank for five years, 2018. Any opponent we put in front of him, he's it's like been no, it's been no hesitation. And so he's won a world title. You know, he he, fought, he was his first fight at 140 pounds. He fought Jose Zapata, which you know nobody no you know there, there's not a long line of people that were running to fight Jose Zapata, and he in his first fight at 140, you know maybe made a bit of a miscalculation there. Um, you know. You know wasn't properly properly adjusted to the weight yet, maybe, but took the fight. So this is a guy that that's fought everybody. Again, just fought Delgado, um, and I think if we put another undefeated guy in front of him, he'll run at that opportunity again. So let's move on to the co-main of Fresno, Sinisa Estrada against Tina Ruprecht. Sinisa is now the unified WBC and WBA minimum weight champ. She looked great. I thought she was slick the whole night. Yeah, she's one of those. Well, I was, was going to say one of those guys. She's one of those young ladies that. Oh, sorry, sorry, no, no, this no. Sinise is one of Sinise is one of those fighters uh, that you know, kind of you know, is almost like ambidextrous. Yeah. It just seamlessly switches between orthodox and southpaw, and you, we've seen a lot of fighters uh, they get a little too cute with that. They, it's like, nah, you're not, you shouldn't be, you know, just stick to your dominant stance. But like a Terence Crawford, it's righty lefty. She can do whatever she wants. She gives. Fighters such weird angles. Mm -hmm. She was you in know. a groove all night. Yeah, like, I mean, Tina's a you know Tina's a very standard European style. You know, everybody talks about the European style jab, right? I'm like, she's very she's very good at what she does, but she's you know she's very one two. And when faced with somebody like Sinisa, it was kind of unlike anything she'd ever seen. She definitely couldn't replicate that in sparring. And I think when she got into the ring with Sinisa, it was kind of like, what the hell do I do? Yeah. No, she, Sinisa looked good. I, I saw how loose she was and she was kind of like dancing a little bit in the ring and kind of like uh, taunting a little bit. So like she was, she was in a group. She, uh, she looked a lot more comfortable than, um, you know, her debut, you know, I think the layoff had a lot to do with it when she fought in November at, at the Palms, but she looked amazing. And, you know, I'm excited to see what she's got going on next. I think also, also not only did she have the layoff in her top ranked debut was just carrying a lot of stuff. It was the, the, 
stuff outside the ring in terms of uh, changing promoters and everything, you know, that, that can weigh a heavy toll on somebody. So in addition to the layoff, there's probably, you know, a lot, just a lot of stuff, a lot of things that went um, into her returning to the ring. So, you know, she's the kind of fighter. She's, she's said it time and again, she's a better fighter when she's an active fighter and only having four months between her first fight with us and second fight with top rank, I think really made a tremendous difference. So moving on to our next event, we were in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where Robesi Ramirez became Cuba's newest champion, the WBO featherweight champion now, after defeating Isaac Dogbay via unanimous decision. Jay, Evan, what'd you guys think? <laughs> I thought it was a great performance. I love Robesi. Robesi is one of my favorite fighters. He's, he's so agile in the ring. He, he moves very well. He's very quick. And that was a great performance. I loved it. You know, it's kind of like in a, what we all expected when we signed him coming out of the Olympics, uh, two-time Olympic gold medalist, obviously famously um, edged Shakur Stevenson to win the gold medal um, in Rio. But he got off to a very inauspicious start in the pro game. You know, honestly, when pe people have asked me, what's the most shocking thing you've ever seen in the ring uh, or since you joined top rank? And it's like there's Rabasi losing to Adon Gonzalez in his pro debut. And then everything else is down there. It, I, it, you know, no disrespect to Don Gonzalez, who had a very solid journeyman-like career, but that was beyond astonishing. Yeah, agreed. I, and so, credit to him. After that fight, he changed his whole team around, uh, moved to Vegas for for training, uh, linked up with Ismael Salas, and sort of got his shit together because one more loss, and it was. You know, it would, have been, it would have been game over. So to see him go from that, you know, the kid in Philadelphia who, you know, got the stuffing knocked knocked uh, knocked out of him for four rounds by Don Gonzalez to now a guy that I would favor over any featherweight in the world, it was heartwarming, you know, because, you know, again, we were talking before about how fans, um, you know, fans are very hard on fighters. And he was probably, he was called every name in the book after that pro debut and, 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 and righted the ship and uh, got an opportunity and took full advantage of it. How did he take that when he was getting all the negative? No, I don't know. Stuff? I mean, he definitely not. You Were know, you around for that like with him? Or yeah, I was, you know, again, we, with the language barrier, I mean, I have a very cordial relationship with him, but I don't, my Spanish. Uh, <laughs> is not great. No, no, my Spanish goes uh, two, years at, uh, two years at Ithaca College in 2008 and nine. My Spanish, yeah, yeah, that's, that, really that's 15 really years. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, like, th like this, you know, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so you know, it was, you know, I think people at the company basically said you need to change some stuff. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, I think a lot of guys, you know, this is boxing history is littered with a lot of guys that come from Cuba, um, and, 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 and the journey to get here for Robesi, There's a great uh, article in Sports Illustrated written by Greg Bishop. Which, which basically outlines everything that Rebezi had to do to get here. He, was, he went to Mexico. He got smuggled in from Mexico. Like, it, 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 it'll make a great Netflix miniseries one day. Um, but point being, I think once he got to America, he was like, okay, I overcame the hurdle, not realizing that he actually had to get into the ring. Right. And then I, that loss was the best thing to happen to him. You know, because if he had skated past the Don Gonzalez in his pro debut, I he wouldn't have changed. It changed his whole mindset from the jump, you know. Yeah. And thank and thank God it happened that early. Yeah. And now look at him, you know, he's a, he's he's now the new WBO featherweight world champ. And he looked he looked great. Um again, I'm a big fan of his angles and just the way he's just he's very smooth and slick. And he was always like that, even as an amateur too. Like it was just he's just always on point. Um and I thought I thought 
it was going to be a little closer when I was going into the fight, but he just kind of just took control of him in the first round. So now we're moving on. We were in Newark not too long ago for Shakur Stevenson against Yoshino in a stacked card at the Prudential Center. You had Jared Anderson as the co-main. You had Keyshawn Davis. Uh, you had the guys like uh, Bruce Carrington, uh, Troy Isley. And it, it was a stacked card and it was it was a fun night. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Jay, you was in the locker rooms all night with mm -hmm. some of the guys. So, you know, what was what was the, the feel? Locker rooms are fun. They're interesting because you don't want to like overstep your boundaries with the fighters and you don't want to kind of linger for too long. You want to like get your content, get what you need and then leave. But everyone was in such a great mood. And I think that's because everyone on the card are friends. Yeah, they're like, like they're, they're all, all boys. Besties. <laughs> so they were all in great moods. Like Jared was hilarious. Um, Keyshawn was really funny. I mean, his brother was on the card, too. So mm -hmm. yeah. he was in good spirits. But yeah, they were all just great. Yeah. I think my favorite locker room moment was after the fight and Shakur and his daughter were there together. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, yeah. I love babies. Yeah, they, they <laughs> They're were, so cute. He was very happy to see her. I know he was uh, Shakur didn't see his daughter for a long time because mm -hmm. he was in camp here in Vegas. So it was really sweet to see uh, him have that moment with his daughter back there. And he was, you know, it's the biggest grin on his face. Yeah, it was really cute. Yeah. I love seeing that. But uh, Shakur, Shakur looked great, man. Like his his debut at 35, uh, you know. A lot of people are giving him a lot of shit just because Yoshino is not a big name. But again, Shakur went down the list, right, of the guys he wanted to fight. Obviously, Dev is tied up with Loma. Tank is tied up with Ryan. Mm -hmm. So when people are constantly criticizing the kid like, oh, when is he going to fight somebody? When is he going to fight somebody? It's like, did you guys forget what the fuck he did at 130? Like, he, he took out Jamel, took his title. He you know, defeated Valdez to unify. Uh, he beat Robson Conceição, you know, who's arguably one of the best guys in 130. So it's like how we just suddenly just forget all that is just like, yeah. is wild. But I think, you know what I didn't realize until I started becoming more of a fan of boxing and especially now working in boxing is when I was coming from a more casual perspective, I was also kind of falling into that group of why isn't he fighting this guy or why are yeah. they not... These guys should be fighting each other. I've never even heard of this guy. Why the hell are they fighting? You know? So I, I feel like now that I'm working in it, I totally understand yeah. the frustration because it's like, well, no one else was available to fight yeah, him. Like, no one, the, the best are already, yeah. like you said, tied up with the other best. Right. So who else do you want him to fight? They you want, know? they wanted. And then like the last person that can do anything about it. I mean, not really the last, but like is the fighter themselves. You, yeah. don't, you don't think they want to fight the best? Of course, they do. Of course. So I totally get that frustration now, but I never got it before. I mean, crazy. he publicly came out and said, you know, Isak Cruz didn't want to fight. Uh, Zapata didn't want right. to fight. So it's just like, and Cambosis was, you know, is coming off of the two Devin Haney fights. It's just like, I, what are you Like, yeah, do? literally, what are you going to do? Yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah. Well, no, I mean, those fights were offered. Yeah. Yeah. No, know, that's what we're yeah, saying. They were, I mean, they was, were offered. Yeah. You know, or you know, so they were not. They weren't available. Uh, and yeah. I think people that aren't uh, or they're giving Yoshino slack. It's like he came off Masayoshi Nakatani win. Masayuki Ito basically sent Masayuki Ito into retirement. You know, I, I expected. I didn't expect it to be the most competitive fight. I thought Yoshino would have maybe a couple moments, uh, but it was. I Yoshino's a top ten lightweight. And Shakur made him look like a rank amateur, you know, and I like, especially in, in recent fights, he's a guy that's standing in the pocket more, trusting in his power more, becoming a more fan-friendly fighter, which will, which will serve him well. 
and you mentioned it, it's like people are, are, are knocking his resume at 130. It's like everybody at the time was saying, y'all got to make the Oscar Valdez fight. Oscar's ducking, Oscar. So, so the fight that the people demanded was made. And, and now, they, now they have Well, and then amnesia. because Shakur won that fight 11 to 1, it was, y'all, that's not a great win. It's like, well, you demanded the fight. We, the fight was made. You know, we, we, we did, you know, almost a $2 million gate at MGM. So there's a lot of people who wanted to see the fight. 11,000 people at MGM Grand. And now it's kind of like forgotten. So that's the frustrating part. But why Shakur, do you think it was forgotten? Because, because it's it's, it it's Monday morning quarterbacking. Yeah, it's you know. So if it would have been a closer fight, or if like oh, well, no, then Shakur's hurt. exposed. Yeah, it's, you it's, already know. It's, there's, a, there's it's no, a catch twenty two. Yeah. that's the that's yeah. the thing. It's Shakur's exposed or Valdez is shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So how sad. <laughs> no, but overall Shakur looked great. I mean, you know, he was in the pocket again. He's been coming into the pocket a lot. He's been he's been throwing punches a lot more. Yeah, way more and. Uh, I thought he was going to stop Yoshino a little later. I didn't think it was going to be that soon, but I was predicting the stoppage. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, he put on he put on a show for people at the crib. Like everybody was happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems like there's a new fire in him. And I feel That's like cool. he's I feel like he's going to grow into his power as he moves up in weight. He'll be a Walter Wade. Yeah. yeah. And finally, on our four week journey through these uh, top rank events, uh, we were in London for Michaela Mayer's return. Uh, at lightweight, her debut at lightweight, and also in the main event we had Joe Joyce against uh, Zaylee Zhang, and man, what what a fight! Um, first of all, Michaela, she was under you know difficult circumstances with Leonardo to having to pull out the fight uh, at the weigh-in. Um, it was tough because Leonardo to is a, she's one tough cookie, and that's a fight a lot of people wanted to see. And unfortunately, she had to pull out because of a uh, she didn't pass her eye exam, and the British Board of Boxing Control just wasn't having it. So it was really disappointing. Um, you know, we were there, and uh, I, I saw the look of disappointment in Michaela's face because you know she gets a lot of shit now ever since the Baumgartner fight, and I know that fight was going to propel her into a better space, especially going into the lightweight division. Mm -hmm. So it was it was tough. Yeah, yeah, what was the mood like? Cause you were there, so how could you describe uh, it? was it just like, uh, it's just a lot of uncertainty. Yeah. Um, Michaela was just like, just pissed. She didn't want to talk to anybody. Um, and I get it. And and she hasn't had the best luck in London, unfortunately. Like the first yeah. time we went, the queen passed. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she she took the loss to Alicia Baumgartner. And then this thing mm -hmm. uh, with, with rescheduling the fight so last minute. Um, Credit to Lucy Wildheart. You know, she came in and gave a valiant effort to, mm -hmm. you know, fighting her. But um, it's, I don't think it's what, obviously it's not what Michaela wanted. And a lot of fans didn't want to see that. Yeah. But yeah. I think uh, Leonardo too would have came and, and gave a great performance. But hopefully they can make that happen when they're supposed to. Yeah. But Michaela, looked, she looked good at 135. I just, you know, she, Michaela looked good. It was, you know, it was, for, it was still for the interim title, a WBC interim title at 135, which positions her for, for bigger fights. I just give all the credit to Lucy uh, Wilder in this situation. Um, her manager, Richard Maynard, former, you know, one of the best PR guys to ever come out of uh, England. He worked for Frank Warren for about 15, 16 years. And it goes to show you when you, ha when you have A, a fighter that's prepared, and B, you have good management and management that's willing to take risks, uh, calculated risks in this case, or a calculated risk, uh, good things happen. And now, you know, Lucy Wildard is a natural featherweight. She positions herself. Uh, over in the UK for for some fights at, at 126 or 130. So credit to her for saving the 
saving the co-feature yeah, and 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 letting and giving Michaela the opportunity to showcase herself again uh, in the UK. Yeah, no, we're excited for Michaela and you know uh, getting her into better position for bigger fights at 135 with the likes of you know Katie Taylor and, and Amanda Serrano mm-hmm. and everybody else. But uh, moving on to the main event, Joe Joyce and Zhang. Oh my goodness! Wow. Oh man. I, I must I must say, being ringside of that fight, um, Zhang wasn't even like stepping into that left hand like that. He was just just popping it, just popping. But he wasn't even like throwing his whole body into it. Mm. And when I saw the first one land out, and I saw Joyce kind of uh, his knees buckle, I said, "Wow." And and I was concerned about that with Joe because he doesn't have a good defense. And I I don't know what it was, you know, going into the fight, but it's just there was like no game plan of avoiding that left hand. He was 15 pounds lighter than he was. You know, I think Joyce had settled in about 270. It was about his optimal weight. He was 256. That wasn't a good sign. Uh, and I think a lot of people, looks can be deceiving. In Zhang's case, you know, he's tall. He's His body is kind of like Fury, a little, yeah. little tubby. Yeah. So you think he's not in shape and you don't think he's fast. But he's well, just like Tyson, deceptively fast hands. Can kind of move a little bit. And doesn't. No, he's not, his, you know, footwork-wise, he's not. It's not sexy by any means, but just the way he kind of just walked down Joyce and just like was just popping the left hand and just he really just Joe couldn't get off the line. I don't know what it was. I really don't. And I just I just feel like uh, it was a super easy night for Zhang. And I didn't think it was going to be. He was he was a, a good undersized underdog, right? Going into that fight. Yeah, Joe Joyce is about an eight to eight to one favorite, eight, nine to one. I mean, so it, it, it nobody expected that. But again, a lot of people thought myself included, that Zhang deserved the win over Philip Ergovich and should be undefeated. Illustrious amateur career, uh, you know, I think two-time Olympian, Olympic silver medalist, fought the best. So, you know, fought the best guys there were in the amateurs. So finding a guy like Joe Joyce wasn't going to, wasn't going to phase him, you know, and again, we talk about good manager, you know, Mills, uh, the late Mills Lane's son, Terry and Tommy manage, manage Zhang. So they, you know, so congratulations, congratulations to them. They're, they're a friend of of, of top rank and we've co-promoted many shows with them. And again, it was, you know, when opportunity knocked, you know, it's almost like maybe that was the best thing to happen. That loss to Hergovich, he wouldn't have got the Joyce fight without that loss. And now, you know, he's in prime position for either a rematch with Joyce, maybe Tyson Fury's out there if he's looking for an opponent in the summer. Did you see what he said about Tyson? He said Tyson Fury in China. Yeah. Mm. It may be Wembley, but again, I I think think now, you know, in the absence of an Usyk or Joshua fight, I think a Zhang. Zhang Zhang's a big I think, player fa- now. I think, fa- I think fans, fans would accept happily uh, Fury versus Zhang fight. Well, that wraps up another edition of Top Rank Unboxed. We appreciate you guys uh, here on a special edition. Evan Korn, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having man. me. It was fun. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Top Rank Unboxed. We'll see you soon.